Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hi, this is Angel, and you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Lost and Rewound. Time to get embarrassed with us. Sad. Who are you, Eeyore? Yes, thanks uh, for noticing. Uh, is that like the state of the nation at this moment? Uh, um, it is kind of <laughs> it, the, the moment. I think the year, wrap this year into a moment. Aren't we supposed to get raptured like by another hurricane soon too? Dude, it's, it's, it's rough out there. I think I just... It's hard out here for a pin. All I can say is that there's a map of the U.S. that was illustrated and it's like fire and brimstone and earthquakes on one side. A snowy landscape across the north. And then... Uh, the south is just this hurricane zone, and in the middle is all tornadoes. I mean, Dude, we, show we is, know this. The show is not about Game of Thrones, so let's get, let's get real for a second. Let's get real. We are lost and rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. That's true. My name is Jimmy. And I am Alon. And again, this is Radio Free Brooklyn. Community-run radio, freeform radio, in the heart of Bushwick, in the basement of a record shop. That is what we do every week here from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. It is a privilege to be able to bring you sounds of the yesteryear. We are the purveyors of the audio artifacts. And if you would like to provide one of your audio artifacts to our show, please email us, lostandrewound at radiofreebrooklyn.org. Yeah, if you want to help us purvey. Purvey. <laughs> Purveying, motherfuckers. And, and that's probably the first time that's ever been said in the human Purveying, motherfuckers. <laughs> hey, but, oh, you know, we... we are only able to bring this show to you every by, week because listeners like by you. listeners like you yeah. and your kind contributions. So go on over to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash pledge and pledge a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. There's no question that it is a tough time out there. So we being a non-for-profit organization and trying to keep the arts alive and kicking in this kind of format, any amount of money that you contribute to us will make the biggest difference. So uh, you're trying to say give us that adrenaline shot to the heart in the arts. Yeah. And if you want to sponsor our show directly, you can go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash LAR. Be a sponsor for the show, and we will very much appreciate it. We have no time to delay, though. In the meantime, we have to get to our guest. If you're familiar with the name John Zorn, there's a good chance you've heard of our guest. Anna Wayland released a rock album called Wanderlust on Zorn's Sotic Records back in 2012 under the project name High Duchess. Anna's role as a musician, composer, and vocalist goes back even further than that, though, and to this day she continues to perform regularly with sounds that brought her the acclaim she so deserves. I've also been told she's getting her new phone today. Please welcome to the show, Anna Wayland. Hi. Welcome, welcome. I do not know how to even begin sympathizing with you. It sucks losing your phone. Actually, today I was thinking like it, it doesn't actually suck to not have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel free and liberated? All the, it's all luxuries. Like I can call an Uber and all that and I can check 
my bank statements, and it's all luxury. I'm actually fine. The world didn't stop turning. No, of course not. I mean, I listen. have a little watch. Yes. Look. But it's not an eye. You have a landline. I know that. I have a landline. One of the few in the proud at this, in this day and age. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Do you also start fires, you know, so you can send smoke signals across the town and tell people things? You know, I dream of the golden age. I would love to live like that. You've been living in Brooklyn now for well over a decade now, like what, 15 years? Since 96. Oh, wow. 97, actually. And 20 years, I guess. 20 years you've been living in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and your involvement in music even started before then. What was your impressions of the New York City music scene when you first got here? Oh, well, psh, it's apples and oranges. I really enjoyed the Lower East Side. I used to live in Brooklyn near the F line, and that means easy way to get to the Lower East Side. So, I mean, I've heard Elliot Smith play. I used to go chase around Jeff Buckley, see where he was playing. You know, shit like that. It was a community, had more of a community vibe. And this is just the mid-late 90s. It was still cool, even a little bit after 9-11. Anyway. So and now it's I, like the post, you know, CBGBs. And, now it's like I don't go to the mother yeah. anymore. Anyway. Yeah. And then adjacent to the rock scene where you could club hop. And be like, hey, man, and recognize people and stuff and make friends with all the bartenders and shit like that is the really cool jazz scene in the West Village. And fortunately, that's fairly intact. How would you describe the kind of music you make now? Um, I make hard rock and I make sort of interesting pop. Uh, I I write in a lot of genres, um, but it's very jazz informed. So Mm -hmm. my melodies are truly beautiful melodies. I work on them. You know, my harmonies are interesting, stuff like that. You compose a lot. So you actually compose for a lot of other artists. Is that correct? I do sometimes. I used to a lot, and it started driving me fucking crazy. Why? Well, because I had so much opportunity. I was pressured so much to write for people who want to be stars, and they don't have any fucking concept (laughs) of melody. And then chasing the money, you know, as I was like, get a hit, get a hit, get a hit. I've had so much shit almost crack you wouldn't fucking believe it like casino fucking tension going on i've had american idol winners demo my fucking songs kali minogue had my shit on hold and none of the shit cracked and i kept chasing that shit and then it's just like i'm getting old dude fuck shit i'm just gonna be an artist see what the fuck god does with that shit well yeah because you gotta enjoy yourself at the same time and i also have to listen to how i'm hardwired i'm hardwired to write my own beautiful shit and it's like fuck it fuck it you know let it Let's don't stop waste the, forcing. Don't waste the creativity. Stop forcing this thing. I wasted fucking five years. I do write for people now, but they got to come to me like I'm a doctor. They got to be like, <laughs> oh, no. I, I just like, you come to me for a favor. I'll be like, sit down. <laughs> you know, I'll be like, two prerequisites. Like, you drink, you party my style. But no, I do the doctorly thing. If someone comes to me and I like them and believe in them, basically need to be brilliant or fully signed and hooked up, or just like, you know, buying me things, giving me a little dough. Your parents were involved in music, correct? Uh, yes, my only my mother. My mother was uh, Miss Tennessee in 1959, and she sang in the choir as a kid, and then she ended up touring with Fred Waring's orchestra in the 50s, and then um, she was a big hit in the early 60s as a singer in New York City, and she used to pack all these big places, and she hung out with big stars, and she, like, met Ellington and Sammy Davis Jr. Sure. But then she got knocked up by this massive Greek gangster, also known as my dad. <laughs> gotcha. That's a heartwarming story. Yeah. And then uh, 
And then anyway, the career kind of. And then all of a sudden, you were hanging out, you're drinking coffee and your shorts. (laughs) Actually, yeah, my anyway, my head is full of all kinds of shit. My dad, but I did grow up for a period with a grand piano around and my mom making me sing and, and. Shit like that. She was effectively your first manager? She wasn't like that. God, that would suck. Like one of those like beauty fucking moms or like... A Beyonce Knowles kind of thing. Oh, fuck that. No, my mom was more just Michael like... Michael Jackson's dad. Yeah, exactly. My mom would make me sing Amazing Grace and it would always make me cry because I don't know why that song is so emotional, but I do know why it is. But anyway, she's always singing songs and making up lyrics and rewriting things with you know, dirty lyrics, and she's a hoot, and um, great taste. Quite tasteful. As I became a teenager, I got really into classic rock and stuff like that, and then I just went on my own shit. I was just like, I'm into jazz, fuck all you people. You, know? you, you grew up across the country, or did you grow up Yeah, more... I did. I grew up in California. You grew up in California. Mm-hmm. That's and... why I can totally go into this voice. Sometimes it's just like, I'm from California. I'm from... <laughs> I d- it's like my, one of my default voices. Yeah. But I've been here so long that I often like end up going like this, you know, like. <laughs> did, did you bounce around a little bit between San Francisco and New York? Well, I lived in New York when I was um, in third and fourth grade. Oh, wow. And that was in the 80s. So I, I remember seeing like Empire Strikes Back in the theater and Michael Jackson came out in 83. I remember like New York City vibes when Thriller was popping, mm. you know, and shit like that. Yeah. In my later years of business trips, bicoastal, yeah, I'm pretty bicoastal. It seems like you have a pretty diverse palette of artists that inspire mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Does it mean, it, it, as a collector of music or versus that of being somebody who's out, actually out there performing, how important is it for you to be immersed in the environments of the artists that you look up to? Well, I either want to work with these artists or I want to have sex with them. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> what What would you say makes, either... it makes a better artist? <laughs> what? That you want to sleep with them or that you want to. If I want to sleep with them, them, that means they're dope. So, but I'm saying, what's what would be better? Well, working with them, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) because the sleeping thing is kind of joking. But I have like taken some flights to be around certain people that are like I admire and are adore. I was making a joke, but uh, oh, were you making a joke? Where did you go? Where? where? place worked in london for years i don't like go to fucking molly and shit but i'd like to basically it's london la a lot of la fucking schlep i haven't I haven't done the nashville grind that's fun. you haven't done the nashville no grind. and i don't want to why not it's probably a nice place but that's where it gets really clinical that's where songwriting is like porn videos it's just like <laughs> no it's like yeah. no we're gonna write something that could work for it's like it's a machine yeah and i mean that's how it works in all this writing publishing bullshit world but it's really scientific really cheesy and it's just like formulaic my ex-manager was like we had talked about me going to nashville and i was like okay but inside i was just like don't pay for a trip to nashville how comfortable would you be to talk about the tribulations that you've had to endure with writing credits because clearly as somebody who has been a composer you've probably had to go up against that wall numerous times well i have two attitudes about it almost all my co-writes i'm the one who actually pens the lines writes the poetry if you dig the lyrics and actually writes all the melodies generally i'm pretty much the one who writes almost everything most of the time and i never really begrudge good collaborators because i often don't want to do these fucking co-writes and i'll be like what the fuck are we gonna write about and somebody will be like 
well, let's write about what it's like to be a stripper. And I'd be like, that's fucking perfect, you know? <laughs> and so I don't begrudge that person when we flesh out ideas and images. I'll be like, talk to me about images, images, you know? I don't mind giving that person a cut. It's it's also the protocol in the music business. It can get really lame where it's like, I was in the room and I was on my Blackberry and I get 10%. And it's like, not nah, in mm. the hip-hop real nasty pop fucking Rihanna world. Most of the time, you know, be like, how come there's so many writers on the Beyonce song? Does it take that many people to write? It's like, actually, there's probably only a couple motherfuckers who really wrote the song and there was other motherfuckers who, like, who had a beat, initially had a beat, and then the guy heard it and so he has to get a cut. And it's just all, like, fucking not about music. It's mayhem. It's very politics, you know. Yeah. So that shit is annoying, but I personally don't begrudge giving, you know, people who sit with me and help me brainstorm. It's like, give them a fucking cut, you know, fuck it. I let's, I just Let's get in there, you know. Let's get it rolling. So my attitude is both very generous, but it's also bullshit. <laughs> when you performed live for the first time, was it with a band or were you doing it stripped down solo? I recall my first gigs being as a sideman bass player with people in San Francisco. I was 19 years old and I was learning bass. And one of my best friends is, she's very well known in the Bay Area and in Europe. Her name is Sonia Hunter. And she taught me how to write music and shit. But anyway, she plays guitar and sings. But she would actually be like, you got this. You got. I, I was like barely playing bass. She's like, you got this. So I was playing gigs in you know decent rooms in San Francisco, playing double bass. That's when my first gigs, and then my first gigs playing you know like guitar stuff was really kind of hard playing with drums too because I didn't have it together because the drummer's loud behind you. You're suddenly singing flat. Eventually, I played a bunch of gigs in the late '90s with rock guitar. I had a weekly residency at the Knitting Factory and. I had a weekly residency at this other place, and I would just get shit-faced and make jam sessions and invite everybody to come down, and we just fucking rock. Performing drunk versus performing sober? Performing drunk is very lame, and alcohol is anti-music. Alcohol destroys focus and makes you wank, and alcohol sucks. But, you know, you could have some good luck one night. You know, you got everyone's got your back. You got a good buzz going on. I've taken some ripping fucking solos, wasted it. And, you know, people are like, oh, my God, who are you? <laughs> and it's just like, you know, and it's like, That's I got to eat funny. my turkey sandwich now. <laughs> like, there's a picture of me sitting on a bass amp next to this famous drummer. His name is Ari Honig, and I'm eating my turkey sandwich drunk while he's taking a solo, and my stomach's hanging out. It was bad. Nice. There were some bad moments. <laughs> If I perform, if I've had a drink or two, I'll just get a lot more loud and I'll stick it to people a lot more, which works a lot for comedy. Sticking there's, it is, uh, is, is default. <laughs> you know, because that's what you want to be doing. But there's like, you know, there's a level you don't want to exceed, I think. No, I've never gone yeah. to perform. Don't go over, you know, don't go too yeah. far. I can barely pay attention with without any uh, influences whatsoever. So if I'm having something in my system, chances are it's going to be even more dramatically so. You know when it was actually safe and fun to do so was when I recorded this last record you mentioned, this, this rock record. When we were doing drum tracks, I was actually laying down a ghost guitar track. I was performing with the drummer, no click, live to tape. It was all very dope. I was off my rocker i was fucking wasted and i didn't care because i wasn't actually being recorded and i played with this drummer a million times we're like best friends we just fucking laid down i could i was able to party man you did bring your guitar in with you today right and it's relevant because you you're a musician that's why it's relevant it's relevant because most of what you've been doing with your uh with your to me suck it to me suck it to me suck it to me suck it to me suck kidding Thank you so much for that thrilling addition of Suck It To Me. (laughs) 
what have you been doing with the acoustic jive lately? Are you performing a lot of planned shows in advance? I don't play a lot of shows right now. I play like two times, three times a year. I'm like a composer. What am I doing with my life? Production mode. I play electric most. I prefer to play electric, even when I'm solo. No, I mean, but the acoustic guitar is my best friend. I play like every day. If this was Hurricane Harvey right here, I'd be. This is the Mm. only motherfucker I'd grab. I hear you. All my shit. Well, it floats. Oh, you do? I grabbed my, grab my cat's, too. Was this the guitar that you've had since you started? This guitar I have had only since 96. And only since 96? Yeah. You hear that, Brooks Rocco? Well, I'm older, man. <laughs> you dig? Even though I look fucking banging. My, my buddy has a Fender Stratocaster that he's had since about 95, 96. He's changed the... Um, like the face of it, like he he did some like retooling, but it is exactly the same guitar. Word. So I'm impressed hmm. that I'm meeting another person who well, has. This is actually the greatest fucking acoustic walking. I mean, it, it's a Yamaha from the 80s, and a friend gave it to me. A guy that you know we was kind of cuddling up way back when, but anyway, he's like, you know what? I'm not playing this, and I was like, that'll work. And <laughs> turns out it sounds great. This was kind of funny. I was in a place where. Um, well, not that I need a motherfucker to tell me if I have a great instrument, but I remember Harper, Simon, and I were hanging out a bunch because of mutual friends and mutual stuff, just whatever. And then we were stuck in Cuba at one point, and he had, like, three Martins or something like that, and he liked my guitar the best. I was like, you're Paul Simon's son. You got three fucking vintage Martins, and you want to hump my guitar? And I was like, Susie, luck of the draw, baby. You mentioned Cuba, and although you did not bring these recordings, I really wanted to ask you about this before I forget. What... I can play you one. I can play it in vivo, in la guitarra. Ah. Ahorita. You would play that for us? Yeah, man. I can play anything, man. We play it. We well, play it live, man. Okay. Oh, no, well, I don't care. Keep going. Well, I'm, I, well okay. So <laughs> when, I want to hear Jamaican song. <laughs> when you and I... We're chatting about what you were going to bring. You were mentioning that there were these recordings of right. you singing right. in Cuba. I haven't transferred it. Yeah, it's fine. But I am curious as to uh, when you were there and uh, what the meaning of it behind all of it is. The first time I went to Cuba was 1997, and I went there for the music to hang out. And this is before the Ry Cooter thing blew up, before Buena Vista Social Club. I mean, Cuba wasn't even on the map. I remember looking at the airplane map that put in the back. Sometimes they show you... Cuba, the island, wasn't even on there. I mean, that's like embargo Helms-Burton to the max, you know. So I was like, that's a bitch. Wow. So it really was quite exotic going there. Turns out because of their system there, everyone's educated, brilliant musicians everywhere. And even if you play traditional Cuban music called son, you go to conservatory and you learn all the repertoire properly. You learn to write music. Like, there's no willy-nilly motherfuckers in Cuba. And also because they're poor, they're pretty accessible. So these motherfuckers just be out on the street and I'd be like, holy shit, that guy's killing, you know. So I ended up just soliciting the friendship of cats who I would just organically hear and say, do you want to be my teacher? And that's why I went back there so many times and spent so much time there. Um, So I met a tracero, um, a guy who plays Trace, who taught me all these beats, montunos, and all kinds of taught me all the different rhythms. And different claves and all this kind of shit. And we would go to his house and he would come to my little place where I was staying. And it had tall ceilings and it was very romantic. And we'd drink coffee. And he had a dog with no hair. Like he had a hairless dog and he'd smoke these cigars. And 
you know, his toilet didn't flush. He had to pour a bucket of water down it. He had no refrigerator. He just had, like, chickens and bongos. It was crazy. It was crazy. Walking in and out, like, we'd be jammed. So, <laughs> like, so that's... Ah, uh, it's my audience. Welcome, so, chickens. And, <laughs> yeah, and then I met another dude who sang beautifully. You played um, more what they call feeling. Feeling. <laughs> it's actually an English word. <laughs> but they call it feeling. And it's sort of like an emotional ballad style of playing guitar, and he sang beautifully, almost like Jose Feliciano, mm. like toned down. Yeah. So oh, that's I mean that's already toned down enough as it is in some respects, but I guess but kind of like that very embellished, very almost classical uh, Spanish music. Yeah. And then I was like, "Motherfuckers, we doing a recording, y'all!" And so I gave like three different guys like a hundred dollars each, which was a lot for me at the time. And a lot for them. It was a big deal. And I had my little Sony recorder, and I put the motherfuckers in this place I was staying with the high ceilings and the whole thing. Good ambiance. Uh, good ambiance. So there were two different sessions, one with me and Felix, the trace player, and it's fucking burning. And he's like a machine gun. It's like unbelievable. And it sounds like a mandolin, you know, guitar. It's unbelievable power he has. So he could carry a whole band, this motherfucker. So that's the reason why they sound so good. And then we sing in harmony. I need to dump this shit down. Like I, I, ha- I have to get a new tape deck. Hearing this story, it seems like this was probably one of the more important experiences that you've had as a musician. Mm-hmm. More than even London, more than L.A. Oh, yeah. All, all, more than chasing oh, yeah, Jeff yeah. Buckley in New York oh, City. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Cuba, hands down, completely changed my life. One thing I like about being there is that people don't treat you, if you are open spirit, like I'm boisterous and all this stuff, they don't take much mind of that, which I like. I'm not always, it's white people will be like, well, you crazy. You're like, like, whoa. It's like, there's no whoa, dude. Like, just, I, I like your white first impression. It's the whoa. Yeah, it's like, uh, you're not wrong. You know, you're it's not like wrong at all. White America just, I get so tired of somebody putting a mirror in my face showing me how kooky I am. In Cuba, they're like, all right, good for you. So what do you want to do? <laughs> and then secondly, all the rhythms, not to be too greedy, but all the rhythms I learned completely enhanced my guitar playing. My my rhythmic interdependency, both in singing, you know, uh, syncopated rhythms. One point I was playing clave with my foot and tapping four mm. in one hand and then like playing a tumbao at the same time, you know. I can still do it if I concentrate. So there was some like weird, funky, bluesy things and reggae sort of syncopations that I found a little bit like slapping my head and rubbing my stomach for a while. And after going to Cuba, it was all like so wax on, wax off training that I, suddenly I was like was chopping wood like a motherfucker. <laughs> you know? I like that is a, that was a great Miyagi you know? <laughs> analogy because it's like he's hooking you up. It's like interdependence, and so that was able to inform all these other styles so I can sing and play a lot of funky shit that most people can't do. What funky shit do you have to play for us today? What you got for us? All right. This tune is called Riches Makes Thieves. And when did you write it? Like five years ago. Nice. Mm -hmm. So That's not long for me. No? No. It's it's recent. It is recent recent memory. I'm saying nobody's fucking heard this song, really. And Beautiful. I, I love it. Well, then play what you and love, you know what? girl. It's, it's apropos of end of times. Okay. It's got a little biblical shit thrown in there. Mm-hmm. It's actually inspired by the book of Matthew, where Christ cleanses the temple of the money changers, if you don't know that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's 
this is Anna Wayland performing here in the studio, Lost and Rewound, Radio Free Brooklyn. Awesome. I believe you. <laughs> I didn't even mind that it wasn't in Spanish. <laughs> That's for next time, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's one of my massive pop attempts. <laughs> so, what was massive about it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's one of my dirges, man. Your dirges. No, no but that's what the the pop world's like. Super Smash Mega Hit Sensations, massive. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, I wrote basically an anti-hit. <laughs> That's the joke, man, you know. Well, exactly. If it's, if, it's, if it's in England, you know, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. Yeah, they do say massive. It's absolutely ma- it's massive. massive. Brilliant. 
Is my man massive over here? Let's get more massive and brilliant when we come back to Lost and Around after the break. We will hear some more of Anna Whelan's What Odom. accent is that? He's working on it. Man. <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress. I feel, like it's, it I feel like it's it's floating between the islands. <laughs> Go ahead. Anna Whelan's older material will be surfacing after this break. Anna will be flashing her tits and none of you will see it. <laughs> Radio magic. <laughs> Lost the Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn. We are sitting here in the studio with the lovely Anna Wayland. And the lovely Jimmy Hoffman, don't forget. Don't forget, ever. Don't, yes. don't, you don't think I'm lovely? You're lovely. Do you see this face of resentment? You guys got on the radio listening, can't see it, but it's there. I mean, Anna just flashed her tits, but uh, I mean, I don't know. Look at resentment, tits, lovely. lots of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, why, thank you. <laughs> We're having fun here this week. Anna was kind enough to contribute old um, songs from her music career and why don't we dive right in to the first track. What is this that we will be hearing? This is an outtake I covered. It's an old blues by this guy, Lazy Lester. Anyway, it's called Sugar Coated Love. It's a demo, and it's funny. And it's not my key. I take a pretty mean solo in the middle. That's about it. It's funny. I hadn't heard it in a while. All right, let's do it. Ready? Three, two, go. <laughs> Sugar coated love. Yeah, sugar coated love. He's a real gone baby, and I don't 
North Pole hot and that sugar coated love. You were exhausted from that? Yeah. I don't know what it was. I don't remember. That was the year 2000. That's right. Yeah. And Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the so year 2000. It was a new millennium. Now you were... <laughs> what, what tongues were you speaking there? That was uh, the Schwarzenegger, I believe. Ah. So glad I got this Chaba license. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I like Will Sasso's version of Arnold. Yes. Tell us about the situation there. That was a demo that you cut that never got remastered, right. and it was an outtake from an album that you were recording? Right. It was, you know, um, it was really an important <laughs> session, man, and, you know, like, my manager, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I just, <laughs> just sucked, and I was like, fuck it, and put it on the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the show where we get embarrassed with each other. Someone so. took your tuppence. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> happens so um, it's a great word it is um, i don't actually know what it means it's money i, I assumed it was like but i had no idea how much it's like it's like a little not, bit it's right? a little bit yeah. it's like pennies or some shit yeah right toppins, toppins <laughs> a bag. i did re-record this song anyway just it's just a cool blues cover and i like the riff i'll go dingo don't go why can't go go and actually the fabulous thunderbirds did a great version of it and i wanted mm-hmm. to kind of Dirge it out, but whatever. It just wasn't good. I don't know. I ended up re-recording it years later. Yeah, obviously and I you, tuned down to C sharp. Yeah. It's like, gong, gong, gong. It sounds like a inflated bass. At that time of your life, what would you say was the overall encompassing life goal music-wise? What were you involved in musically at that time? I basically just wanted to always sound like Led Zeppelin. I mean, that's kind of like the deal. Yeah. Like I just want to do a couple of covers. But that I didn't figure out which key. And I'm like, anyway, that sucks for various reasons. But it could be produced, made, done well. The riff is dope. I was just a little lazy as a songwriter. There's no need to do covers at all. There's no need to do covers. No, not when you're not when you're a craftsperson. Really? Does Paul McCartney, did the Beatles do covers on their records? Um. Yes, I think. They, yeah. They, what are they? Didn't they cover a, a Chuck Berry? Well, no, song? I mean, like when they finally became writers. When they finally became writers, yes, that's true. Uh, they didn't have to cover anybody. The whole idea is, I feel like you use covers as a building block to like learn to be a musician more often. Yeah, sure. Right. That's like or a good if, way to practice. Or if you're just a singer and you just need a repertoire, but I'm not just a singer. I can. And once I figured out how to write a song, which was painful and brutal, long process. But anyway, yeah, I just want to sound like I just want to play rock. You know. Do you, you enjoy the music writing process more than the writing the lyrics? Absolutely. Writing lyrics is excruciating because it requires total patience, total focus. And I have very high standards, and it has to be great. So it's brutal. But, you know, the results are great. We want to hear more. All right, check this shit out. More music. He should get, get it done and play it quickly, make what, it happen. What, what's this next track? This next track is called Candide, and it's a song I wrote. Didn't this show up on the High Duchess record? or was It that- did, but this is the very first acoustic try. I, as soon as I finished the lyric, 
I recorded myself right on the cou- on my couch, and that's what this is. Cool. It's kind of interesting. Is it about kind of? Is it about Candide, like the the book, like Voltaire? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. fun. It's it's the story from the perspective. I was forced to read that book, so I'm somewhat cultured. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of ways to read it. It's kind of an adventure story. Where was, like, I, I thought it was an interesting book. I yeah. actually did. So of all the books I was forced to read. Right. It's an acoustic version of Candide from what year? Oh, I wrote this a ways back. This was uh, 2005 or six. I think yeah. I wrote it 2006 or something like that. All right. So maybe seven. It's almost 10 years old. All right, here we cool. go. All right, Otto Wayland here again. Von Van Tool, Eins Fein. Eins Fein, Drei, Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm a cannonball. the uh, progression 
yeah as an artist you you seemed a little bit uh fuddled in the bridge there but that's the that's like a good place to sort of like i don't know what i'm doing here we'll, we'll figure it out later well it's like talk about wet ink that's like the hot hot know, off the press yeah, 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 yeah super wet ink mm-hmm. and i was so excited to be like fuck i can run this down when you finish the lyric it's a really well i ended up working on it a bunch more you wrote that song and it appeared in more fleshed out variety on the record that i was talking about earlier when we were introducing you that was an album that was mostly very hard rock and it's nice to be hearing especially since i have a vague familiarity but at least some familiarity with that album and the fact that you are definitely adding a whole lot of tracks to it Hearing it stripped down with just the acoustic guitar is super cool. So that was recorded around 2006, and you put the album out six years later. So these songs probably went through quite a transformation in mm-hmm. between their original iterations and the final product. The main guitar part was the same. We just added some bass and drums and made it bang and some breaks. Did you perform these songs around a lot um, in lieu of their professional recordings? No, not much. As soon as I fucking recorded it, another kind of famous band put it out as their first single. And it did okay in Canada, and they toured and played the song. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they're called Die Mannequin. Hmm. The leader is very talented. She's pretty dope. Her name is Care Failure. She sings her ass off. That tune was kind of on the shelf. And then I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do my final motherfucker version of this. And then i that's when I recorded it for the Sodic thing. It's uh, rather unique uh, to be in that position where someone puts out the song before you, but you were the original person who wrote it. Yeah, it's just big balls production that, you know, it's like super fucking Nirvana, like the yeah. way they did it. It was pretty cool. She's like screaming. It's awesome. I don't mean to veer off uh, discussion here, but it kind of reminds me a little bit about this whole fascination that people have in social media about who actually wrote that song. Uh, in this case, Natalie Imbruglia's Torn was all over uh, social media because evidently she didn't write that song. Oh, of course she didn't write that song. People on the inside have known that forever. There, another exactly. chick singer, I knew, I actually knew another it. chick singer who, was, uh, up and co- who had her little trying to have 15 minutes wrote that, right? Edna okay. Swamp was how I originally knew about it, but the only new thing I learned about that story was that it was originally recorded mm-hmm. by some woman in Norway. Oh, word. And I didn't know that. But fair and fair enough that people even didn't even realize it's this whole time. It's not that dope of a song. It's a, a, it's a, it's a very... And who would write, this is how I feel? I mean, <laughs> that's, like, that's like how like third graders talk. It's like, you're my Valentine. This is how I feel. Wow, you're you know? now you're absolutely right. That is like it's the most terrible. on the nose That's why lyric. it's popular because it's pedestrian. Yeah. It's broken on the floor. I need a cookie and some milk and some more. You have a, another track to, for us to hear, and this one comes from the '90s, yeah. It does. Woo. Uh, yeah, the song is called "Whirl." I was pretty influenced by Elliot Smith at the time. Um, and I'd heard him play a few times, and I even saw him on the train. And, Jealous. One know. of my favorite artists of all time. Yeah, and, like, I've seen him around a little bit. I could have met him, but I was too respectful. I didn't know he was going to, like, pull an Othello and, like, stab himself or whatever the fuck he did. But, um, anyways, you'll hear a little bit of some guitar moves. Dope. Check it out. Swallow me down 
That was Whirl from 1999? 98. I wrote it in 98. and then I mean, it's like 88 or 9. And you haven't heard that track since then? Not that um, demo version because I just haven't. I don't know. Where did your mind go when you heard it? I was like, hey, that's when I started not sucking. I mean, the lyric is not something I would write at all, but the music is dope. Like, that's when I was getting into songwriting and shit. Yeah. I like the riff. It's my riff. It doesn't sound like anything else. Yeah. And the chorus has got a pretty melody. You said you were influenced by Elliot Smith. Yeah, I mean, his guitar concept is very specific. I could hear it for sure. And um, not that it's that sounds like him, but it's just interesting guitar bits. You know, I've learned all his shit. And I've learned it correctly, you know, off the record. Because people play his shit wrong all the time. You okay. You know, like, you know, what does he do? This is the 
this is the part people get wrong. But it's fun. It's something. his ball he'd be like fuck it i'll create my own voice and he get that shit jimmy hosts open mics very often and when you were starting to become more of an acoustic guitar player and singing your own songs were you interested in being involved in the open mic scene i like open mics as long as they're fun and weird i used to go to this thing called the anti-hoot hosted by this famous guy named latch where like beck and uh, what regina specter and all these people started out I used to go there in the 90s, and I would do songs, or I would do fake stand-up and watch other people. Is that is that an answer? Yeah. I, I'm, That's I'm, when the East Village was cool, you know what I'm saying? Right. You can only get better by watching other people, because you're influenced by what you're hearing right. and what you're seeing, and watching other people's uh, right. um, you know, rapport. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. The problem is, to play it in open mic, I found to be really nerve-wracking, even though, like... You're professional. There's something about it. I still haven't put a finger on it. I haven't thought it through, but there's something nerve-wracking. Like, even now, it's like, fuck it, I'll do one. Fuck it, here's my name. And then it's like, um, Anna, Anna, hi. Okay, you're up. And then it's just like, oh, fuck. And everyone's judging you like it's fucking. No, I, I think absolutely right. If, especially if you go to a, a place that you're not familiar with. Because it almost feels like it has a contest judgment undertone. Like it's almost like a talent show kind of vibe. And it's like, here I go. One of our guests. Hi, Mom. Every uh, comic our, Mike is like that, too. Well, Ryan Parker, one of our guests from a while back, mentioned that he always was in the belief system that music shouldn't really be a competition. I mean, it's going to be, but it really shouldn't be. Well, obviously, music is food. Music is 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 not is really not for sale, and music is sustenance. So, I mean, that fundamentally is the, is a fact. So, um, moving on. <laughs> we, we have, we, <laughs> I like that. Like that. That was that was. I say they should lay down wisdom. That was that's the thirty six chambers are. All right, this is the wisdom. You got it. Let's roll. Next had, chamber. Yeah, you, you had the book. Closed it. All right. Next. <laughs> I've, I've studied it all. We're on to the test now. You want, lay, you, you want me to lay it on some life lessons? All right. We guys are on for one more track. Tell us about this last track. Okay, this West Twack. West Twack, you West we Wabbit. This song I wrote in 2008. And what is it called? It's called This Is The Wine. And it's the first demo I made at my house. And you'll, the click is the metronome. Cool. Uh, it's like a, an acoustic analog metronome. And uh, I wrote it to pitch for Whitney Houston. Wow. And I actually started a production of it with Q-Tip, but he never finished it and whatever. So, you know, whatever. All right. Long story. Hey, forget about it. Forget about it. Oh, and then, and then Whitney kicked the bucket. Oh, and I played. <laughs> Did she? No, I played this song live for Clive Davis in his office. Wow. He was like, that's more for Nora Jones. And I, <laughs> and I was like, fuck Nora Jones. <laughs> and then. Or I, you know, I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, here's what we've got for Whitney right now. Take a listen. Jeez. And so he played, my manager at the time, she was like, he, play, he, he listens really loud. Just be careful because I have like really sensitive ears. So he blasts this awful sounding MP3 of Whitney singing some abomination. It was really <laughs> awful. And she's like, I don't know. I mean, it beat my man. It was really obnoxious. I watched him 
fall asleep in his chair while we all had to sit there and listen. <laughs> Good God. He snored. He snored. And then I started to cry because it was so depressing, and I walked out of the office. I was like, I got to get out of here. It felt like a crypt in there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Don't fall asleep yet. <laughs> so anyway, this is the original demo that I made when I, just after I wrote it. Here we go. Do it. Et 
Good God, that was lovely. That was truly wonderful. Oh, thank you. Yes, indeed. I worked very hard. I worked very hard. You've got in there. You got uh, funkiest, etc. Uh, <laughs> like riffing I've ever heard. Yeah, I definitely like. I definitely like the. And then you were rapping a little bit. The rap, too? the rap placeholders. Yeah, with saying nothing, just words. Whitney Houston would yeah. have never been able to rock that. No offense, or Nora Jones. That that um, deserved to be the yeah, Anna Wayland. What are you talking about? You think? It would have been the Anna Wayland hit. This is a destiny. <laughs> I did enjoy it a lot. Oh. But, but I, I know you mean it. I felt like you. Well, that's what I'm saying. I told you. I'm tired of writing for motherfuckers trying to force I, some shit. We're glad. Honestly, we are. I'm, yeah. Man, I should play you my master shit later shit. You're on SoundCloud, and you have your own mm-hmm. website, yeah? Yeah, I mean, you can find me on Facebook and SoundCloud and all that shit if you just type my name in. But I'm writing new stuff. I'm in the studio right now, and kind of more excited about that. Cool. I'm not really humping anything right now. Okay. Uh, like, meaning promoting anything. <laughs> That's fair. I give guitar Humping lessons, and, and I'm a little boy crazy. So hot guys, um, students, um, philosophers, cool new friends, I'm down. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, you could visit Anno's website at Anno Wayland, A-N-N-A. Wayland, that's all. You know, it's very self-explanatory. No, shit, I'm famous. That shit will pop right up, motherfucker. Yes, yes, it will. Anna Wayland here on Lost and Rewound. It's nice to meet you. Yeah. Thanks for listening, Th- you guys. Thank you so much for coming. And thank, you, yeah, thank you to everyone out there listening, indeed. We are all over on Podomatic. You can find our website, lostandrewound.podomatic.com. And, of course, iTunes and SoundCloud. <laughs> We're all over the place. It, we all over it. We can listen to us at all different social mediums. It's an amazing thing. It's just, like technology is just here, and it's here to stay. It's here to stay. <laughs> my words, my words. <laughs> That's Jimmy. That was that was me. Yes. And, and technology but, is and again, state. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Alon. And this is Alon. And all kinds of shit. And Anna, you rock. Thank you again for being <laughs> yeah, here with us this great. week. We will be back next week with another rendition of Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay safe out there, everybody. Well, you'll notice that I will be doing like jumping into accents constantly. <laughs> See, you're just like me then. The same way. See, because I'm here to have fun. I'm not here to fucking be like, I have a career, and um, the thing about my career is, you know, this fucking boring.